0: We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done.
1: If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889.
0: And today's episode, of course, is listener feedback. Hi, Bill.
1: Hi, Larry. How are you
0: Okay. Um let's skip the weather this time.
1: <laughs> can I say at least say springs here?
0: Yes, okay, you can say that. That's good. Okay.
1: So no weather today. Yeah.
0: No right. weather. So you've been doing any any Linuxy things or computery things since the last time we recorded?
1: I've just played a little bit, updated Manjaro, uh with a few updates. Um yeah, that's about it. It's just chugging right along. No problems, no issues. So, yeah, it's sitting right over here, and I don't know what it's doing right now. It seems like it's running something. So, mm. yeah, probably an update that uh, I missed. But, yeah, it's been working great. How about you?
0: Uh, yeah, about the only thing that I've been doing other than the regular work stuff and the uh, you know, email and all the other Stuff we do. Uh, I've been getting ready for Ubuntu Mate twenty one point oh four. Oh, and is by cool. getting ready, I mean since the user interface is changing, there's a new theme. Um, since there are a few changes to some of the software packages that are offered by default, and some upgrades and up- improvements to some of the packages that are sticking around. I'm rewriting the onboard help Mm -hmm. that is part of Ubuntu Mate, and in addition to putting in new screenshots, updating the words and so on that are are part of that to match any new functionality that's there, and it's coming along just fine. In fact, if you want a preview of it, you can go to the Ubuntu Mate site, and at the bottom of the page, there is a guide.ubuntu-mate.org link or you can just type that in your browser and you can see the uh initial pass at that still some QA to be done on it and some updates to screenshots that have changed since I wrote the first version of it so there you go
1: yeah pretty much i uh, don't keep up with the mate as much as i should i've uh, work and work and work and uh
0: yeah well that's understandable no, Nobody, but somebody who's involved in the documentation could do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, with the Manjaro I just keep updating it. So, yeah, I really need to pay a little it, more attention to. It just to, does its thing. Yeah. Yeah, it just does its thing. So it's just like, oh, you have updates. Okay, apply. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, uh, me being the lazy person I am. But uh, yeah'm I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see what the new uh, look looks like. Uh, what, are they changing the color or are they going changing what kind of changes are they making?
0: Well, the color, the Chelsea cucumber green, <laughs> is the same. Okay. but that's about it. I mean the the main theme has been based on the uh, Ubuntu ambient or Radiant themes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and those will still be around, except that the default theme is now the Yaru theme. Oh, okay. And it looks very different, and I think it looks much more modern, quite frankly. Oh, I so, to definitely take a uh, look it, at it then. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to begin using it, and uh, it's it's interesting. It, Like I said, it looks a little more modern, and uh, take a look at the at the guide and see, you know, the online guide and see what you think. I will. I'm going to have to put that in the show
1: notes. Since this is a listener feedback and we have skipped a few, we've got quite a bit of feedback. So we I do. say let's jump right into it. And our first email comes from Adam and he has an idea for us. You could, in addition to Ubuntu Mate, make one more new project, Ubuntu desktop distribution, without uh, a GUI or GUI, but with command line only.
0: Hmm. Okay. So strip out the user interface. I think that's called Debian server. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or, or uh, yeah, no, I like my user interface, but yeah, that's an interesting idea. But I don't know. Uh, without all the, I don't know, that kinda of be kind of a limited... Uh, use maybe for people that were just uh, didn't need a, a GUI or they were just using it as like a, a back end for a, one of their processes, but yeah, is um, is. Couldn't you also download the Ubuntu um, server edition for that?
0: Yeah, you can. I think. Ubuntu is a little unusual from the perspective that they still have some of the GUI packages in the server edition, just in the event that you need to use a GUI for one reason or another. Um, So if your objective is to have a stripped down version that doesn't have that graphical user interface at all, then yeah, it would have to be um, either modify the server version of Ubuntu or create new distribution. Yeah. There might be an application for it. I don't know how extensive that would be adopted. I mean, it would definitely need to be a server application or an application for someone who doesn't need the GUI, like you said. But there are plenty of other distributions out there, including just not using the GUI on Ubuntu server, which is kind of the default as I understand it, but um, yeah, or you could use, uh, like I said, Debian server or Fedora or, you know, any of the other distributions that offer server versions. And, you know, Ubuntu is focused on the user experience, the the non-server user experience, at least for the desktop versions of Ubuntu. So, I don't know whether it's within Ubuntu's vision to create something like that. I would think it would need to start probably as a community project and then build up from there.
1: Yeah. I, there's been very few times, you know, as the uh, GUI tools get better and better, very few times I actually have to drop to a command line anymore, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a place for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I rarely have to uh, drop to a command line. I, do things on the command line because it's faster or more efficient or whatever. But my focus is to discover what the graphical way of doing everything is, because that's what the average new user to Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate or any distribution of Linux these days is going to try to do. And by providing them guidance on how to use a graphical user interface to get everything done like they used to in in Windows, which is where most people come from, um, it, it, that's just going to increase their adoption of Linux in general, yeah uh, once they know how to do things with a graphical user interface, and there are plenty of guides on how to use the command line to get things done and quicker and more efficiently than the graphical user interface. But my focus is on the graphic. Yeah. The graphical way of doing things. All right. So there you go. All right. Let's move on to our next email, which is from Rosica, who wrote us with additional information for episode 404. Dear Larry and Bill, I just listened to your podcast number 404, Making Linux Installation Media. Interesting as ever. Thanks for producing such a nice show. I just want to add a very good program named Ventoy to your list. It can be found at this link and we'll have the link in the show notes to the Ventoy website. It's uh, very well documented. The only thing which might not fit the bill for everyone is that there's currently no Mac version, but you can install Ventoy to a USB on Windows and Linux. It's a really great program, as, and here Rosica is uh, quoting from their website, Ventoy is an open source tool to create bootable USB drive for ISO slash WIM slash IMG slash VHD slash EFI files. With Ventoy, you don't need to format the disk over and over again. You just need to copy the image file to the USB drive and boot them directly. You can copy many files at a time and Ventoy will give you a boot menu to select them. X86, Legacy BIOS, IA32 UEFI, 64-bit UEFI, ARM64 UEFI are all supported in the same way. Most types of operating systems, Windows, Windows PE, Linux, Unix, VMware, and so on have been tested. So it's easy to create a multi-boot stick, plus no need for ISOs to be expanded. Just copy as many ISO files as you like and the capacity of your USB stick will permit. Keep up your splendid show and keep safe. Many greetings from your regular listener, Orosika. All right, well, thanks for that. And I took a look at the Ventoy website. It's kind of interesting. It has a very minimalistic graphical user interface or GUI. And, you know, basically, you put all your ISO files or whatever kind of files you want that are image files on the stick along with the program that is Ventoy, which is essentially just a script. You run it from the command line, and then you go to a browser to find the user interface, and you run it from there. Uh, and then once the stick has started up, you um, can then install it on whatever computer you're running it on. It's it's a different way of looking at things. It looks, it looks interesting. It looks kind of um, unique. I mean, it basically works the same way as other things do, but it, uh, it's a unique way of handling things. Just run the script and, and do it through a web UI. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty hmm. Interesting. cool. Yeah. I've I'll heard about it. Take a look at it. the screenshots. Yeah. You'll see what I mean. But, um, yeah. So you've heard about it. I hadn't heard about it. until Yeah.
1: I've heard it. Uh, the Linux Mint guys were talking about it one day. Ah, uh-huh. okay. And they All were right. talking about, um, Uh, how cool it was so yeah so i'll have to i just haven't played with i have so many usbs laying around here with different images but yeah that might make my life a lot easier i have to give it give it a try
0: yeah it sounds pretty easy you don't have to use a special program to create the bootable usb you just put Ventoy on there and uh, run the script that's Um, awesome interesting yeah and then you just drag and drop the ISOs or whatever image file you're using onto the stick. Okay. (laughs) Unique.
1: Yeah, very unique. So our next uh, email comes from Highlander and he writes, looking around, watching and listening to what is going on around me, I get the sense that there are some things people are missing. There seems to be an over-dependence on an internet service provider when two or more people want to exchange data between each other. Did you know that ever since the year 2007 it was possible to exchange data between phones without dependence upon an internet service provider? There are two methods of data exchange that can be used by the civilian population right now with modern cell phones that do not need assistance from an internet service provider. First is a USB cable data connection it is a reasonably high bandwidth data connection through a laptop desktop or tower computer this should work regardless of whether the operating system is windows mac or linux i have tried the windows and linux systems and they both work the other method is direct connection through bluetooth data bluetooth data is like a bunch of walkie-talkies talking to each other without a service provider on an Android smartphone select the file you want to share and click share then click Bluetooth the Bluetooth transceiver will turn on then your phone will search for uh, discoverable Bluetooth devices in your local area maybe 30 feet select the device you want then click send the other device needs to click accept in order for the data to be exchanged. If you have a hiccup in this operation try sending the file without verification or security. Odds of success should increase. If you are with a trusted friend and a hiccup persists try Bluetooth pairing your phones prior to sharing the data. Odds of success should increase again. Bluetooth is bammed with Limited to about 100 kps per second. So be reasonable with your data exchange expectations. Hope this helps. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So I was certainly aware of that. Um, And in fact, I listened to the Mintcast as well, and they reviewed Highlander's email as well. They had some comments on it. And I think it was Rob who mentioned that if you want to have a way of connecting and sharing files with your phone or other device, iPad, you know, uh, Android tablet, whatever, by way of Wi-Fi as opposed to Bluetooth, which as Highlander mentioned is a bit bandwidth limited. So you want to do it wirelessly, but you don't want to use Bluetooth. Use um, the same protocol that you would if you were connected by way of the internet, except turn off your internet, and just use your internal Wi-Fi router to connect the two devices together. Uh, Or if that's not possible because you're using um, Apple's software uh, or other (laughs) limiting software, uh, and you happen to have an IP-connected storage device or a NAS, a network-attached storage just connect your computer and your phone. If you're exchanging data between those two, to your network attached storage and just deposit the file there and pick it up from the device you want it on. Uh, that's, that's a way to do it as well. That's two transfers, but it's probably uh, the, the easiest way if you have a fast network connection at home or office or wherever you are and a shared network device for storage. So there you go. Um, That's another way to do it without an internet connection. Okay. Our next email is from the frugal computer guy, Larry and Bill. Sorry, I missed your 400th show. I binge listened to your show and I was just catching up the other day, binge listening while cleaning my basement and heard the pre 400th show and the 400th show. Congratulations on making two and past 400 shows. I have free YouTube tutorial series your listeners might be interested in. It's called Linux Command Line. People new to Linux Command Line are encouraged to start from video one and work their way through the series, mainly because the higher number of videos use commands and techniques explained in earlier videos. People with some command line knowledge may be able to jump around without any problems. The videos are all done using Linux Mint, that's because when I started using Linux 10 years ago, I would listen to the Going Linux podcast. Larry Bushy was, the, was only on his second co host <laughs> at the time. Sounds like I chew them up and spit them out. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Bill. Um, he was using and recommending newbies start with something like Linux Mint. Larry has since moved on to Ubuntu Mate, but I just stayed on Linux Mint. At the time of this writing, there are 33 videos in the series. There are more to come, but I only release videos on the first and third Saturdays of the month. If that sounds a lot like Going Linux' new episode release schedule, it's because that is where I got the idea. <laughs> a few years ago, I was releasing new videos weekly. But I was getting burned out. Hey, I know what that's like, and couldn't keep up with that schedule. Around that time, Going Linux podcast switched to release twice a month on the first and third weekend of each month. Certainly after you switched, I switched, and it's working out well for me. Thanks for the idea. Here's a link to the Linux command line YouTube playlist. We'll have that link in the show notes. And it continues, I also have a web page for this series for downloads and easy-to-find topic or video. The link is, and we'll have that link to the Frugal Computer Guy website as well, located at thefrugalcomputerguy.com if you're interested. If you have a moment or two, please check out one or two videos in the series. I've had lots of positive feedback in the video comments. I'd be interested to hear any comments you have about my videos in your show. Keep up the great show, Michael. Well, Michael, thank you for your uh, instructional YouTube videos. Uh, yeah, I've looked at a few of them and I'm impressed. And I think first time you ever wrote in, I mentioned that I was impressed. I am I continue to be impressed with the work that you do and thank you for that. Uh, any of our listeners who want to learn more about the command line or anything else that you provide information on, they would do well to uh, connect up to your website and take a look.
1: Yeah. Um, by the way, who was your second co-host?
0: <laughs> uh, let's see here. So Serge was my first one and my second one was Tom. Tom. Okay. So you're number three. It's not like there's a dozen or anything like that. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) One a year would be a little rough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you had to break us in. you know. Anyway, I couldn't remember. So Mark wrote uh, in response to episode 402. He writes, Hi, guys. I have been listening to your podcast for over 10 years. Your podcast helped me in getting started with Linux. I have just been listening to episode 402 as a relatively new convert to music streaming, I thought I'd share some of my experiences of streaming with you and your listeners. Until 2020, I listened to I listened to music either through my hi-fi at my house or when traveling through mp3s and saved to my android phone. With the COVID lockdown in the UK, my partner and I decided it would be best if I stayed at hers, meaning... I could no longer easily access my CD and vinyl record collection for the duration of the lockdown. I did, however, have access to my my music ripped and saved to a hard drive and on our joint Spotify account. As I could no longer get out and about, I ended up surfing YouTube for ideas on better ways to listen to music while in lockdown. John... Darko, a Hi-Fi Equipment Reviewer with a YouTube channel and a blog, gave me a few ideas. I have no other links with him other than watching his videos. First, I decided to purchase a Raspberry Pi 4 and a Digital Analog Converter or a DAC called a -A HAT or HAT that sits on the Raspberry Raspberry Pi which provides a better sound than the 3mm headphone jack with the Pi. There are, there are a number of other different music players for the Pi, but I end up using the uh, Volomo, I believe that's how it's said, uh, an Italian Linux based audiophile program. It's rel- relatively easy, easy to set up, and there are plenty of guides out there on the web. Plugging my Pi into my partner's Hi Fi stereo system, I can stream either Spotify or my ripped music, which is stored on a hard drive into the system and the sound is much better than listening to my phone. It is free to use for Spotify or your own music and the program can be controlled either using a mobile or a tablet as a remote. But as the lockdown continued I discovered further improvements for my lockdown lockdown music streaming. Bill in 402 described his experiences of streaming services but said his ears couldn't tell the difference between spot spotify sound and a high resolution music service as a 60 year old whose hearing isn't the greatest I would have to disagree disagree with bill about sound quality and have a few suggestions how high-res audio can be appreciated without breaking the bank I have used the Amazon HD service on free trial and the title service on special offer for four pounds for three months listening I believe this offer is still available in the UK before transferring to a a regular subscription. Adding the title app to Volumo for a small fee allowed me to listen to CD quality and high resolution tracks through my partner's hi-fi. The sound quality is much better than Spotify or my poorly ripped MP3s of yesteryear key to improved sound is what equipment you listen through as well as the quality of the streams. The HAT deck provides two sound quality streamed from the Pi via Volumo. In the few times in the last summer when, when out and about when I have wanted to listen to high resolution stream music, it does burn through your data. I have used a USB DAC such as an AudioQuest Dragonfly. If you pair the USB DAC with an Android, a USB audio, a software app that sends a high-resolution streams of music through the USB port of your mobile to a USB DAC, the music quality is brilliant. The better the headphones or speakers, the better the music. I bet even. Bill's jaded eyes, I think he meant ears, (laughs) could uh, (laughs) hear the difference. A last suggestion is to use a USB DAC when playing music from your laptop to an external speaker, whether it's Spotify or Tidal. The sound is generally much improved. If you use a reasonable USB DAC over the the internal DAC of a laptop. Hope that is of interest. Keep up the good work and thanks for getting me into Linux. Cheers. Mark and armskirk I'm sorry I'm, I butchered that, but it's near Liverpool, England, I can say that so, <laughs> Alright So hey, thanks for that um, Yeah, I, I would say that you know, he's made a good point but then again, you know uh, people sometimes have different uh, levels of hearing but I will definitely, uh, if ever get a chance, so I'll try that and see if it does brighten up the music
0: Yeah, it's worth a try
1: Yeah, it is, it's worth a try
0: Yep. All right. At the end of February, Ken reported on Microsoft invading Raspbian. Uh-oh. Uh, this should be interesting. Yeah. All right. Ken wrote, Larry and Bill, I play with Raspberry Pis on occasion and track goings on with the Pi. I heard this on a YouTube channel. Today, it came to light that a Microsoft signing key and repo was quietly added to Raspberry Pi OS. Today I confirmed this silent change on a production Raspberry Pi Lite. We will look at other options and what we can do to protect our systems if we need to run the default Pi operating system. I first heard about this from Jason KMac then from switched to Linux. We'll have links to both of those in our show notes. I was wondering what you may have heard regarding Microsoft invasions of other distributions. I really hate to see Microsoft involved in the Linux world, though I know they are, but I sure would like to keep them off my computers. When I go to update my Raspberry Pis, I may look for something else like Ubuntu. Thanks a bunch. Ken, KB4XT. All right, Ken. Um, Yeah, I have heard this. Let's put it this way it seems to be a bit of a tempest in a teacup, as they say. Um, Microsoft contributes a lot to the Linux kernel and to Linux in general. And in fact, you know, I hate to say it, Ken, if you switch to something like Ubuntu on the Raspberry Pi, Microsoft is involved with (laughs) Ubuntu as well. So I'm not sure you're getting away from them there. And I have to say as well, if you are looking at Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate has an excellent version of the distribution for the Raspberry Pi that works extremely well. And there's versions for the different and various versions of the Raspberry Pi uh, so it's definitely worth a try if you're interested in something a little more sophisticated than Raspberry. Raspbian, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's such a big deal. I mean, you know, other big corporations, well, like Canonical and, uh, I don't know, Oracle, uh, are involved in Linux and nobody seems to have as much problem as they do with Microsoft. I'm. No fan of Microsoft, but I think they're a a way of life when it comes to Linux these days. And, you know, thankfully they are from the perspective that they're helping to make Linux and Windows more compatible with each other so that eventually I'm expecting that we will have some sort of built-in virtual way of running Windows inside of Ubuntu or other Linux distributions I'm looking forward to that day where it's easy to set up uh, Windows or run Windows applications directly from within uh, a Linux distribution. That would be cool.
1: Yeah. Microsoft has done a lot to make uh, the uh, Linux and uh, Windows play well together. And so, yeah, Yeah. I I think, you know, you pretty much just gonna have to just accept that's kind of a way of life right now.
0: Yeah, and, and it may be cool to run a Windows application in Linux. It may not be safe, but yeah, it might be, be cool. <laughs> uh,
1: well, it used to be where Microsoft really didn't like Linux, but it, it seemed to pretty much uh, you know, say, hey, Linux is not going away, so we might as well uh, help uh, people use it uh, with our software. So in the, in the grand scheme of things, the, the more they help out, the more we can get things to work in our Linux system. So, yeah.
0: Yep. Things have changed over the past 10 or 12 years. They have
1: changed a lot. So our next email comes from David, who wrote us about Podcast 402, which was our streaming music uh, episode, and a small suggestion for a future show. He writes, Hi, guys. Enjoyed the recent podcast for 402 on streaming. Would be interested to hear you do a similar program on best music library players for Linux. For me, it is difficult to beat Google Play, now called YouTube Music. Bill trashed that service, but for me, it is where I have always stored my music library and the player app integrates nicely with my Linux Mate 20.10. It isn't dependent on the browser. I am biased towards service as it is free. I believe Bill was focused on streaming sur- streaming only, but having a free place to store my music with, with a player that beats anything that comes with Linux, tough to beat. Take care, David. Okay, good point. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that is w- true. Yeah, I was uh, definitely just concentrating on the streaming aspects of it, but that is a nice little perk
0: to that. Um, yeah yeah, definitely and hopefully google doesn't kill it the way they've killed so many other applications or modify it so that it's no longer free the way they appear to be going with google photos and things like that so yeah it's uh <sighs> you kind
1: of get what you pay for when it's free they uh, google has a habit of killing stuff um yep. but i mean they had the uh, google uh was a Google music and then they changed it to YouTube music and uh, it's not a bad service. It was just didn't fit my needs, but um, by all means that, that is a nice feature. Um, but then again, I pretty much have playlists set up and I can listen to anything I want. So I don't need to store it, but that's, I mean, if that's what you're into that, that would probably work fine for you.
0: Yep. There you go. So if it works for you, keep using it. That's keep great. You, yep. Okay, Rainy wrote about media players. Hi, Larry and Bill. Thanks for another fine podcast. It was interesting to listen to your recommendations about streaming music services. The one thing that bugs me with Deezer, as well as Spotify, if you listen to their content through the app, you can't play tracks in the order they are on the albums. While it doesn't matter much with music, If you're trying to listen to an audiobook, this is more than just a tad bit of inconvenience. Since the experience is ad-supported, this makes it impossible to get a good story. The YouTube Music platform is disappointing. Google Music had much better interface, and the user experience was far superior than this mess. You could sort content by artist track and album. Even viewing the tags of MP3 files was possible. The main beef I have with this service is that you can't listen to your uploaded content anymore unless you have a premium subscription. Basically, you upload all your songs and can't control how you listen to them unless you use the app. If you're trying to play your library with Google Home, you're out of luck. This is probably the single worst, quote, improvement that happened when everything switched to YouTube music. They're not doing their users any favors, and it's sad how Google sunset other great services for something just not accurate enough. Keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to more episodes, Rainy. Well, I think you summarized some of the disappointments quite well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, the uh, one thing I wanted to tell Rainy, if you're looking for a good audiobook player that isn't tied to um, Audible. Uh, the, and I don't know if you can upload to them. I don't think you can. But if you're just looking for a certain book, there's a, a service called Chirp. Their books are uh, one. It's one of my favorites. I had a lot of Audible books back in the day. And, you know, then they got kind of uh, into the Amazon services and they had dual accounts and all that jazz. And uh, I started using um, uh, Chirp. Uh, I can't remember who told me about it. They're not, they're not sponsoring, but if you want to send us money, that'd be great. Um, but um, Chirp has all the books, and they have deals um, that you might find uh, that works well. Their player's pretty good. It's on Android and uh, iOS.
0: Okay. So, we'll have a link to Chirp in our show notes. Show notes. It's chirpbooks.com, if you're interested in it. I will add that to our show notes. Okay, thanks Larry. Okay.
1: So, our next email comes from Ken and he wrote about Linux-compatible computers. He writes, Larry and Bill, I was just listening to Going Linux 401. Great job as usual. Thanks and keep up the great work. I am continually amazed at the folks asking about a Linux-compatible computer. I have never had a problem installing running Linux on any of my sometimes off-the-wall computers. I used to build my own with ASUS motherboards with with both AMD and Intel processors. Then I've had various types of HP in both desktop and laptop mostly i5 or lower. I have an old ThinkPad which is still running at someone else's home. I've had good luck with Acer computers, even an, an old laptop with an AMD processor. One of the nicest ones that, I, that I've had l- lately is an Asus laptop with an i7 processor. It's ultralight, thin, and speedy. I have tried numerous Linux distributions, but have most recently used Ubuntu derivatives like Mint on my everyday machines. My biggest pitfall with Linux has been that my favorite CAD program uh, only runs under Windows or Mac. There are some good CAD programs for Linux, but not to my liking. The other area that used to be a problem was photo editing, but there are now many good photo programs available in Linux. Lately, I've become involved in Ham Radio where there are many programs for Linux. I have never had a Linux-incompatible computer over a whole bunch of years and a big bunch of computers, so I'm mystified with their concern. Maybe I'm just too simple of a user to trip them up. Best wishes, Ken. Well, Ken, you are lucky because I've had had issues. uh, As (laughs) Larry has known, I had an ASUS computer that absolutely detested... uh, anything but Ubuntu. And I have my old uh, Alienware that it would only run, um, certain versions of Ubuntu. Uh, but I mean, it was always been able to get them to run, but yeah, sometimes you had to do a workaround or you had to adjust something. But what about you, Larry? Have you had any issues?
0: Yeah, I've had a few issues with a few computers in the past. Uh, there was, uh, I think it was an Acer that ran Windows S or came with Windows S, which is S I can only assume is stripped down <laughs> because <laughs> it, was, uh, it was worse than Windows Home. It was, it was <laughs> you know, it was locked down to the point where you
1: couldn't even change the background. Right.
0: Yeah, y- exactly. And that was just within Windows. The hardware manufacturer made it so that you couldn't even boot to anything other than the hard drive. So, you know, there were some workarounds for that. I finally got it working. And when it did work, it worked tremendously better than Windows S. <laughs> Faster, you had full functionality, you weren't limited at all. But it happened to be, you know, a slow processor and so it was um underwhelming the performance wasn't that
1: the ones running pentium golds or something uh, like that was...
0: something like that i yeah. don't remember exactly it was a while ago and then you know various hardware incompatibility especially with you know in, in the early days modems uh and then after that wi-fi connections you know the the hardware for wi-fi uh video cards so yeah (laughs) i never had a problem with video cards um i think again i was a bit lucky there and anything else uh, especially recently has been things like uh, trying to install it on an old computer where the keyboard was had a had a key that wasn't functional at all (laughs) the equals key (laughs) Uh, um, not one that you use much unless you're writing scripts uh but uh you know every once in a while you do need to use the equal key and um anyway uh i was able to fix that with some programs that remap keys and this was a a 15 inch or 16 inch computer that had a full numeric keyboard so i was able to swap the main malfunctioning key that's on the main part of the keyboard with the plus key that was over on the, on the numeric keyboard. And so I was able to use, you know, shift plus for plus and, and just plus for equals. And that worked for me. And since I was the only one using the computer, it wasn't a problem. Um, support has gotten so, a lot better. Oh yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's, uh, Uh, That's really the only problem that I've had lately. But then again, I've been carefully choosing my computers to be Linux compatible, choosing the hardware to make it, you know, so that they are Linux compatible. And the most recent computers I've purchased have had Linux on them from (laughs) the start. So that makes it even easier. You know, I've had one from System76 and a couple from Dell, and it just makes life easier when you purchase hardware that's compatible with Linux, yep. easier to find these days than it ever has been in the past, for sure.
1: Remember the days when we'd take a, a CD into the to the stores uh, before you know ordering your computer was really big, and you would pop pop it in and and try to boot it up and see if everything worked. I've done that.
0: Yeah, I I I never did anything like that, Bill. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Of course
1: not. I mean, of course, they would give you the, the, they, they would give you the stink eye when you did it. Uh, and they, sometimes I've actually been asked to, uh, please don't do that again. But it's like, I want to buy this thing, but I just need to see if it works.
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
1: But, but now it's, that's almost a thing of the past. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so he was extremely lucky. Um, I had lots of issues, but then again, remember, I think because you, uh, pretty much uh, used yours for non-gaming applications
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that helps too
1: yeah the nvidia drivers were were not my friends and i i seem to have had in, a lot of nvidia nvidia cards but the intel seemed to work really well all the time so
0: that's always yeah. good yeah exactly yeah intel's a big contributor to linux yeah. kernel and of course they make their hardware so that it's linux compatible for the most part and um yeah, they're easy to work with for sure. So I'll stick with with uh, Intel. No, but no, no. you know, Nvidia. AMD is fine, and <laughs> various other is are fine as well.
1: Yep. So anyway, I think that most of those problems that we got, you know, even just you know a, a year ago have been fixed. And you know, when we jumped into Linux, it was back what ten years ago or whatever. So there was some there were some wonky things going on but now it seems pretty much you can just pop a usb and it works so that's always a great thing
0: yeah yeah that was well before the before times before covid and uh, <laughs> much much longer was ago there life than that. before
1: covid i would not know
0: Ah, uh, yes there was at least a lot of years of good uh, experimenting with linux so anyway, um, yeah, so uh, thanks so much for your discussion about uh, Linux-compatible computers, Ken, and your experiences with them. We have a couple of other emails from listeners, which we are intentionally not including in this episode because they are each reviews of the Pinebook Pro uh, we had mentioned that we, neither one of us had had, uh, any experience with a Pinebook Pro and couldn't really comment on it. And so Tim and Stacy, two of our listeners, each wrote up a Pinebook Pro review, a little different experiences in each case. And so they are long enough that I think we can have a whole episode in just those two. So that'll be our next episode. Pine Book Pro Reviews. Looking forward yeah. to that.
1: Yeah, and Pine Books, you can send Larry and myself uh two units and we'll be more than happy to give our thoughts on it. That'll never happen. All right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't know whether I want a a computer made out of wood or not, but Oh, it's not made out of wood? Oh wait, okay. I got the wrong impression. Sorry. <laughs>
1: anyway, until then you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe.
0: We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done.
1: And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com.
0: Until next time, thanks for listening.
1: 73.